This is Chris from Play Comics, and you're listening to Pop Goes Your World. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 121, Witness Movie Review. Chris McBrien, along with caveman Derek Myers. You're going to find us on Twitter at CMcBrien for me, at Amaron underscore DM for Derek. PopGoesYourWorld.com is our website. And if you listen to us on iTunes, please take a minute and leave us a review on there. Derek Myers, first of all, happy holidays, I guess. Merry Christmas, all that. We had a little bit of a break. Uh, how's things going? Great, Chris. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, Happy New Year. 2020 is now upon us. It is. Uh, and uh, we're going to move full steam ahead. Let's uh, let's do some uh, some great shows coming into the new year. And uh, uh, there's a lot of uh, a lot of great stuff in pop culture that we can yet explore and list and comment on and uh, and recommend people do and don't watch, read and listen to. So, no, it's uh, it's been a great holiday. I'm ready to go back to work. I've had a, you know, some time off and uh, it's go time. Yeah, no, we got, you? We, we got lots of good things coming up. Like you said, oh, we yeah. got lots of movies to watch. All of a sudden, us back, you know, in the past to the 70s and 80s to watch, to watch movies that uh, that I'll recommend, of course. But uh, yeah, did, over the, the little bit of a break that we had around the holidays, the Christmas season, did you get a chance to partake in any pop culture? Because I certainly did. Uh, yes, yes and no. I mean, I, I did probably the same amount I always do, which is usually quite a bit compared quite a bit. to most people. Yeah. Uh, I saw, as I mentioned, I think it, on the last podcast, I had a ch- we went out to the theater and we saw the new Jumanji movie, which I liked. Uh, it was basically more of the same. It was the, now the second one with The Rock and Kevin Hart and Jack Black. So if you if you saw the first one with those guys and, and you enjoyed it, I suspect you'll like the second one. It's It's pretty much the same thing with a couple of subtle twists to it. Uh, I was entertained. I felt I got my money's worth. I was glad I saw it. And I had uh, no regrets about seeing that one in the theater. And then, of course, we saw Star Wars. And uh, I liked it. I wouldn't say I love, love, loved it. But uh, I did enjoy it. And I think, like with the most recent Star Wars films, a a little bit of time and perspective has improved them for me. Like when I watched The Force Awakens the first time, I thought, oh, I liked it. And then I waited and watched it again a little later. And I'm like, oh, I liked it more. And I found The Last Jedi, same thing. I... I rewatched it just a couple of weeks ago, and I, although it took me a while to get into it, uh, I liked it more ap- like after some time had passed. So I, I think I'm going to find with the Rise of Skywalker probably the same thing. I liked it, but I think a little bit of distance will uh, probably make it feel a little better for me. Um, so those were sort of the big new things, and then uh, I saw a couple, a uh, couple on. We've been getting free previews of uh, the the classic movie channels over the holidays. I've been watching them too. Surprise, yeah, so. Surprise. Uh, one of the classics that I watched yesterday, never seen it before, first time ever, Paul Newman, The Verdict. Oh, nice. Have you ever seen it? I have not seen it, no. Well, I watched it yesterday. It's uh, It was quite good. It was uh, it was nominated for five Oscars. And unfortunately, didn't win any of them, but it was Paul Newman and um, James Mason, both for actor and supporting actor, best picture, best director, best screenplay. And you got to think, if the movie gets nominated for all those things, it's got to be pretty good. 
and it was great. Uh, it didn't win any of those awards, but uh, it was definitely worth a look. And um, I watched a documentary that just came out called Framing John DeLorean about, you know, like oh, the time machine from Back to the Future, yeah. the DeLorean car. The DeLorean, so, oh, he was quite yeah. a character. I, and I didn't really know much about him other than he was, a you know, uh, uh, a lot of controversy around his mm-hmm. life, lifetime. And I know there's some arrests. and Drug uh, use, yeah. Yeah, I, I, but I didn't know the specifics. So this was a documentary with um, scenes that were recreated from from real footage and from real stories. And they had um, Alec Baldwin playing John DeLorean in the recreated scenes. But at the same time, they were interviewing Alec Baldwin, the actor, as part of the documentary. So it was this interesting style of telling this story as both a documentary and these re- uh, reenactment sequences. And uh, it was it was quite interesting. I, I Again, you watch a documentary, you always learn something. And I definitely learned something watching this one. It was, uh, I think I saw it on Netflix. So it's out there now. And uh, I enjoyed it a lot. Well, I also was busy for a change because normally I usually don't get to do a whole lot of pop culture stuff, uh, you know, between shows, but I had a lot. So like you, uh, I went to see The Return of Skywalker. Uh, My son, he's 10. And of course, we had tickets for opening night. He's all excited, right, to go see it. So yeah, we went to see it. Yeah, I could take it or leave it. It was all right. And then uh, a couple of really interesting things happened um, over the holidays. Like like you, we also have the preview networks with these, like, there's like one for the 70s, one for the 80s, one for the 90s. And my wife on Christmas Eve says, she says, I've never seen Die Hard. And I'm like, oh, man, that's about to change. So funny enough, <laughs> I, I went and I put on the 80s preview chant like that, the one we're getting. And yep. Die Hard was starting right at nine o'clock. So I was like, that's it. We're watching it. So we sat there on Christmas Eve and we watched Die Hard and she loved it. Wow. So great. It was, it was great. Yeah. Like, finally, we watched a movie together, like an older one that she really, really liked. So that was really cool. And then another thing is that um, we, we flipped over to the 70s one. Now, the 70s one also shows movies from the 60s as well. And yeah. and I had her watch the other just like two nights ago. We watched The Graduate. She'd never seen it with Dustin Hoffman. And it was like his first movie. Right. And she absolutely hated it. Like yeah, she, I didn't care for it either. She didn't like it. She's like, this is boring. She goes, I've heard you talk about this movie. You said it's so good. You know, it's such a great movie. And she's like, it's dumb. It's boring. I don't get it. The end of the movie, she's like, what happened? They just sat at the bus. They didn't even talk to each other. And I'm like, that's the point. Like, that's the point of this film. And she's like, I just don't get it. And I said, but it, they're, 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 it's about a whole generation. That's what's happening. And the fact that Mike Nichols had never directed a film and came in with such command of film as a craft. Oh, I thought the movie was fantastic. And watching it again, I hadn't seen it in probably 25 years. Um, But watching it again, I I was just, man, is that movie good? And she's like, God, this is dumb. (laughs) So we had real (laughs) opposing viewpoints on that. It's not just the Yancey movie she doesn't like. Yeah, apparently. Chris movie. And then, uh, then an interesting thing happened. So I've been saying all along that I want my son, he's 10. I want him to watch Meatballs. Because, you know, like, I love that movie so much. I love it more than anything, right? So I'm like, oh, I want him to watch Meatballs. And my wife is like, well, let me look it up. She looks it up on IMDb. And she's like, no, it says that there's, like, sexual themes. And there's this and this. And there's no way he's not watching it. I'm like, "Eh, it's all harmless. It's like, they don't do anything. There's no nudity or anything like that. It's all harmless stuff. Like, it's fine. So she's like, well, uh, he's not watching it unless I watch it first. So one of these times, I'm going to have to watch it. So anyway, the other night, we're sitting there. And and the kids go to bed. I'm like, well, what are we going to do? And she's like why don't we watch meatballs? And so Uh-oh. immediately oh, I, Chris, I, it's, it's like true love all over. I, I immediately said, I married the right woman. 
it's just so wonderful. And um, so I thought right away, this is great. I married the right woman. And then we watched it. And then throughout the movie, I realized maybe I didn't because two things happened. Number one, she said, there's no way our son is ever watching that movie until he's like 15 or 16. And um, secondly, she's like, it's dumb. I don't like it. So I'm like, well, maybe I didn't marry the right one. I don't know. And then the last thing that I wanted to mention was in the mail right before Christmas, I get this package and I'm like, what's this? who's sending me something here? Like I didn't order any Fonzie t-shirts lately that I know of. So I opened this box up and it's a Bob Ross joy of painting board game from Derek Myers and his lovely wife Kay for Christmas to my family. So thank you, Derek. It was wonderful. And not only that, we opened it up and my kids love board games. And so I open it up and it's for, I think it's for ages 12 and up. So my kids. I are, thought it was eight, but it's yeah, it's definitely it's, young kids can play, it. and that yeah. was part of the reason I I thought, well, I know how much you love Bob Ross, so I oh, thought, well, I I'll Bob get Ross. to this one, and so I thought the kids can try it. Yeah, out. I thought, oh, I don't know if this is going to go over so well because you know, like like my kids are ten and seven, and this was twelve. So then I start reading. So we 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 open it up, and I start reading the instructions out to everybody, and as I'm reading them, I'm like this is pretty heavy. Like, this is pretty complicated. Like, you got to put it on the palette. You can't mix the paints. You got to use the certain brushes. You got to use these certain moves. I'm like, this is really complicated. So we started to play it and we absolutely fell in love with this game. Like, just love it. And so it's so funny now. I'm able to use my Bob Ross game as, like, leverage on my kids. So thank you, K-Man. So, like, (laughs) even tonight, like, like or this afternoon, they they were going on and on about something. I said, hey, listen, if you guys behave after dinner, we'll play Bob Ross. Right away, they behave. They come right in line. Because they just love Bob Ross games so much. Nice. So so thank you very much to you and You're your wife. Because it's a great very gift. Good. They absolutely love it. And I do too. It's a lot of fun to play. I haven't won yet. I've actually finished dead last every single time that we played. But the kids love it. So it's all good. Anyway, on that note, what do you say we get started? Bob Ross, The Joy of Painting. No, it looks stupid. <laughs> It's, it's actually mesmerizing. Or perhaps inhale some substances. Right. They might find this painting show 10 times better than someone who is, you know, in complete control of their faculties. Oh, there's a little happy accident. We got a little bit of brown there. Let's just make it into a tree. Stoner college students that watch it, they're like, oh my God, this is the so best good. thing to watch when you're high. I can't believe he just made a mountain. If I'm in the right mood and I see it comes on cable, I'm going to sit and watch it. We're going to use some Van Dyke brown and a little bit of Prussian blue. So full disclosure, mm-hmm. uh... <laughs> Okay, so this week uh, it was over to me. I was able to nominate a film. And as I am wont to do, I, of course, nominate films from JetX because that's what I do. So I went back to 1985 and suggested that we go back and watch Witness, uh, Harrison Ford's film from 1985, and we review it. Uh, The film was nominated for eight Academy Awards, including Best Picture, uh, Best Director, Best Actor, Ford. It won two Oscars. It won for Best Film Editing and Best Original Screenplay. So that's great. Um... And I know I say this almost every week on the show, but I tell you, they just don't make movies like this anymore. And we're going to come back to that later in this episode as we start to get into this movie. But uh, before we get into the movie, I wanted to just ask you, Derek, I made you watch Witness. What were your impressions on it? Um, First thoughts, and then we'll do a deep dive into the film. Okay, so I think I mentioned this when you nominated the movie. I had seen Witness exactly once before in the mid to late 90s on video when I was doing the Harrison Ford retrospective and watching every movie he had ever been in right when I worked at the video store and had practically unlimited free movie rentals so this was just part of the of the process and I do remember 
enjoying it at the time, knowing that he had been nominated for an Oscar for it. I thought, oh, well, geez, I really like Harrison Ford. And that had never happened to him before. So this must be exceptionally good. Uh, but other than that, I don't I didn't really have any strong memories of it. I knew I enjoyed it, but that was it. So it was like watching it again for the first time. But I did realize as the movie was playing on, I started to remember, oh, this is coming up. Oh, yeah, there's a scene where this happens. But there was just as many scenes where I was completely clueless and had no idea. So overall, I did enjoy it. I did find it was slow, but I think the pacing was uh, deliberate for the kind of story they were telling. You, you know, you're not going to tell a story that takes place in Amish country and have it be a shoot 'em up explosion, mile a minute, hard rock music score sort of thing going on. Like it needs to be reflective of the source material. So. Uh, you know, it, it is what it is in that regard. And I was fine with that. Uh, the performances were, were good. Uh, again, uh, Ford was definitely great. Uh, at, at, you know, he was as good as he's ever been, but, um, yeah, I, I, I liked it. I didn't love it. Um, I'm looking at the IMDB. They gave it a score 7.4. That, that's probably sort of in the ballpark of where I'm coming at this, like probably about a seven out of 10 ish. Um, it, and it is, as we've said with a lot of the older movies, it is definitely of its time. There were a few things that I felt dis, uh, that were dated in the movie, even uh, not because, again, take, a large parts of this movie take place in Amish country, which is uh, you know removed from time, if you will. Um, but even the things that were supposed to be of 1985 felt dated. Um, nothing overwhelming. But a few little things sort of jumped out at me, and, and we can sort of get to those as we go through it. But yeah, for the most part, I enjoyed it, and uh, I, I'm curious to sort of hear you talk a little bit more about uh, why you felt this was worthy of going back to revisit. Why did you think this one was a better choice than uh, something else that might have been on your uh, your recommendation list? Uh, like I said, I, I liked it, but I certainly didn't love it. Uh, so I want to know why – uh, why you picked this one over something else. Oh, so. for sure. <clears throat> well, a couple things. First of all, by the way, being as we talked at the top of the show and we were talking about, you know, the holidays and New Year, I realized something this week with, with the New Year, with the calendar turning into 2020. And, you know, me reminiscing today here on this podcast, as I do every week, when I'm reminiscing about movies from the 80s, that's the same as people in 1980 reminiscing about movies from the 40s. You old man, you like, old. Like, like, I just it puts things in perspective for me. It just made me go, "Wow, that's crazy." But, well, I I, I oh, saw a thing man. online uh, as there's been a lot of internet memes with the whole 2020. Uh, but one of the things they were saying is we are now closer to the year 2050 than we are to the decade of the 80s. Mm-hmm. So crazy. just crazy. just something oh. again to put that in perspective. Yeah. Okay. So in regard to this film, okay, so I really like this movie a lot and I'd like to do a bit of a dive into it, but let's start. You mentioned Harrison Ford and his performance. So let's just talk about him for a minute off the top, shall we? How the hell he ever escaped getting typecast in Star Wars is just incredible when you think about it, right? He's He's a great actor. Yes. But Carrie Fisher and Mark Hamill, like they're good actors too. They got typecast. Harrison Ford though, Man, oh man, when he came out as Indiana Jones after Star Wars, like I couldn't believe it. Like not once watching Raiders as an 11-year-old kid did I ever look up at the screen and think, that's Han Solo right there. That's that's Han Solo up on the screen. Not once did I think that. And that's a pretty impressive feat to pull off. And again, when he was Deckard in Blade Runner or John Book here in Witness, not once did I ever think, that's Han Solo. Like, 
Oh, man. Incredible. Anyway, so the movie itself. So obviously it, it opens up with the, the funeral of Rachel's husband. I, I don't think we know how he died. I don't think they ever mentioned that. I, we assume it's an accident because they're quite young and they obviously have a young son. Yeah, um, I figured it was probably an illness. Yeah, or an accident. Again, they don't, they don't or, yeah. go into it. And, but I don't think you need to. Like, it's not, this it's is not one integral of the to the story. Yeah, this is one of the things I find a lot with current movies is often there's a little bit of over-explaining because a lot of today's audience wants all the details all at once. And this was a good example of sort of old school storytelling where they're at a funeral. Draw your own conclusion. You don't need to know why he died, how he died. But like you said, the family is young. The child is young. Mm-hmm. There's only one child. So obviously the, the, you get the suspicion that, that this was a very young family, new family. So yeah, most likely illness or accident. Right. Uh, so, and I, it doesn't matter to the story either way. All you need to know is he's passed on. Right. So backstory is not important at this point. But one thing that is important at this point is the cinematography. And it's incredibly done, like the wind sweeping across the fields and the Amish country. And even the overall with the film, the facts that, that it's juxtaposed with sort of the crime-ridden streets of Philadelphia, you know, I mean, that comes later, of course, but just incredibly well shot. So open, one of the opening shots, there's a great shot of, of a buggy that's holding up traffic. There's like a transport truck behind it and a line of cars. And it yeah. just, it just yeah. jumps out. It just shows this Amish life versus the English life, right? And so, again, they, they, they go to the city, and, and again, it's, it's important because, like you mentioned, they don't, I don't think they really mention why they're going to the city. I don't know if they're going to visit somebody or something, but they're on the way there in the, in, the, in the train, and the first thing that the child sees is a hot air balloon, and he's just mesmerized with it. You know, he's so impressed, and, and it just shows his innocence and how sheltered his life has been, and it just sets the tone for what he's about to see, you know? But anyway, they get to, I think they're in Baltimore. They go to Baltimore. No, they go to Philadelphia on their way to Baltimore. On their way to Baltimore, so, yeah. So they stop in Philly, and they're at the train station in Philly, and like he, he doesn't know how to use a drinking fountain, remember? And uh, I think it's just he's never seen it before, yeah, so he, he's he, unfamiliar with how it works. Right, he doesn't know what it is. And he's just taken by the size of the train station. And there's a little girl that's like looking at him funny. And I really like the part when he sees the Hasidic Jew from behind. And thinks he's Amish and he goes up to him and he's thinking that, oh, that's someone like me. And then it just shows, it really kind of digs into a theme that is ongoing in this film, which is, is just how different everybody is, you know, and how different everyone is to him, obviously. But as we go through the film, we see how different people are. Um, The other thing I thought was interesting in that scene was the statue. And it was like, I think it was like an angel with Jesus. And it made me think, you know, like the religious monuments in the English world center around pain and suffering, it seems. And it's really shown because the boy and his mother kind of just stand there and they look at it. And and I think it, it's kind of conveyed to the audience because they, they, they just stare looking at this statue in kind of wonder. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I, this is one of the things. So after we – anytime we do one of these movie reviews, I always go on the uh, the IMDb and I read up on the trivia. And this is one of the things that I was glad they had talked about in there. They said the, the statue is called Angel of the Resurrection uh, and it is a depiction of the archangel Michael lifting, the de- uh, lifting a deceased soldier from the battlefield. It's a memoria to the men and women of Pennsylvania Railroad who died during World War II. And so, again, Uh, you didn't need to know that in the context of, like, again, everything you said is 100% valid, and that's the point. But this is sort of that extra little detail of if you know it, it can potentially add another layer of meaning to this scene. But but I think you're absolutely right. The idea that, you know, the statue is 
literally larger than life. It looms in this massive man-made monument to engineering where where trains literally come and go and you've got this humongous statue in the big open like it's just it, if, if you come from a world where technology is is uh, it's not forbidden but is is not as prevalent seeing these things that are just so grandiose it, it have to be overwhelming mm-hmm. for sure so then obviously it gets to the pivotal scene in the film when the boy witnesses the murder in the bathroom and that the suspense of Danny Glover as he's checking the stalls and and then Lucas Haas, he's, he kind of smartly goes underneath the, the stall, but the look on his face of fear when Glover's going through the stalls, just incredible. So then um, John Book gets involved in the case, right? And he takes him to his sister's place and it's Patty Lapone, which I thought was just an odd casting choice. And it was funny because my wife was watching the movie with me <clears throat> and she ended up falling asleep, but we'll get to that later. But She's watching and she's like, I know her. She's from Girls. So we've been watching this show on HBO called Girls and it's uh, Lena Dunham and Patti Lapone has a, a small role in it. Right. And so she remembered her from there. But Patti Lapone is like this huge Broadway icon, you know, and she it just seemed like a weird casting choice for me. Anyway, um, I did not recognize her. Yeah. I, I, don't, I know of the show Girls. I don't watch it. So I didn't even have that. uh that little piece to add on. But yeah, Patty anyway, Lapone. Like, you know, people that like Broadway and stuff are like Patty Lapone is like this icon, you know. But anyway, it, the one thing that kind of jumped out to me at, at this point when I was watching it was it really made me relate to this film, uh, you know, as opposed to when I first saw it back in the eighties, because I have a seven-year-old son, and I kept thinking, like, what if my son had seen this happen? You know, so I was looking at this movie through different eyes this time, which I thought was interesting. I just thought I wanted to bring that up. Um, so the, the next scene I thought was just so interesting was when they're eating hot dogs for lunch. And they sit down and, and Ford just digs in and just starts chewing away. And, of course, they're not eating because they're, they're praying. Right. Same grace. <laughs> and he's, like, all embarrassed. And I, I totally relate to this scene, unfortunately, because this actually once happened to me at a business lunch. I actually took some clients out on a business trip once and I started eating my lunch. And I just, as I was shoveling the food in my mouth, this, you know, vulgar Canadian that I am, I guess, just eating the food, I realized they weren't eating, their eyes were closed and they were praying. And I was like, oh my God, I just, what what did I do? Like, you know, so I just, that scene just made me kind of chuckle. I'm like, oh, I've seen that before. Um, And then I thought it was interesting that Rachel starts talking to him about the sister, Patty Lapone, and she basically says all these things that the sister said about him behind his back. And it's like the Amish have no filter, right? At least there's like there's no sort of pretension. Or there's no need to like harbor secrets from each other or act in a certain way socially. You know, like we seem to have to do on a regular basis. So again, like they're just setting up the whole thing. So then they get to the police station and this is where it goes back to what you said before with it kind of dated it. Everyone in there was using typewriters. And they were smoking. Yes. That's one of the things that always gets yeah. me in these old movies. I was watching, like I said, I watched The Verdict the other night. Everybody's smoking. It's, it's, it's again, it's a sign of the times, right? In, in the moment, it wouldn't have seemed unusual or out of place or anything. But yeah, that, that, that certainly reminded you that this movie, at least the, the quote unquote modern portion of this movie, definitely took place in the 80s. <laughs> and then, so right during that scene too, um, the little boy's like walking around, just checking out the police department. And that's when he goes over to the trophy case and he sees Danny Glover's picture and he right. spots it and he, and he just a look on his face and he points at it. And then Harrison Ford realizes, 
oh no. And it's just like, damn man, there is some great acting in this movie. Just yeah. great acting. Um, so Danny Glover, um, so then I guess uh, Harrison Ford calls the um, the chief, right? And, and goes into the chief and says, hey, listen, it's McPhee. You know, it's Danny Glover. He's involved in this. You know, what are we going to do? And the next thing you know, Danny Glover shows up in the underground and there's this big shootout, right? So Harrison Ford knows right away that the chief is involved as well. Yeah, yeah. So he has to take them back to Amish country because he got hit. Remember, he got shot. Well, hey, let me stop. I love in that scene where they're shooting and the people are coming out of the elevator and he's like, get back in. And then the woman like reopens the door. That's my car. That's my car. He's like, get in. That was funny. It was probably just a throwaway that wasn't even in the script. It was probably someone's like, you know, it'd be funny. Just throw this in. And that made me laugh a lot. Yeah, I thought that was was really some interesting comic relief in this like really intense scene, especially when he turns around and sees Danny Glover. You're like, whoa, you know, my wife was like, oh my God. You know, it was really, really cool. Um, But yeah, he takes them back to the, where they live in Amish country. And he, and he's like, there's, there's not going to be any trial because he knows the chief is in on it. And you know, Oh man. And then the doctor like helps treat him like with like milk and linseed oil and teas and stuff yeah. like that. And then the scene that I thought was again, interesting. They keep setting up this theme is he's unconscious and Kelly McGillis is like nursing him back to health and he swears in his sleep and he starts like yeah. swearing. And, and again, it just shows the contrast in their lifestyles. You know, and it just sets up the whole movie. But um, I th- then it immediately goes into where Samuel finds his gun. Right. And, and I think it's just this great scene. And, and the actor that plays Eli is actually, he's Canadian, right? But Eli says, he, he, he sits Samuel down at the table and he goes, you know, you know he, he's talking about the gun. And he goes, this gun of the hand, it's meant for one thing, to take human life. And... And and um, Samuel goes well. I know that I know that bad men they deserve to die. And Eli's like, you know these bad men by sight, like you can see into their heart. Right. And, and Samuel's like, I can see what they do. And then Eli has this great line where he says, "And by seeing, you become one of them. You need instead to come out from among them and be different." And then you're just like, "Holy smokes, this movie is pretty profound." You know, like it's, it's pretty, pretty profound. I don't know. I, I just, I, I, at this point, I'm really liking kind of the, the, the juxtaposition of the two different cultures. You know right. what I mean? I just thought it was great. Um, so then he's got to go into town and I love how his bullets are in the sugar jar. Like she's hid them right. Uh, to give, keep them away from the boy. And then the boy's showing him around the farm and, and it's really crucial for the plot because he sees the corn silo and how yeah. it's all stored up in the top. Right. But then the scene that I really liked was at 4.30 in the morning, Eli wakes up, book, it was, come on, we're going to go milk the cows. And, I'm, yeah. and I am and I said to my wife, I'm like, and maybe you don't, I don't know, why so early? Like, why do you have to get up so early in the morning to milk cows? Like, does the milk go bad or something if you wait till like 9 a.m.? Like, what's going on? Well, I think it's just like farm life. You need to, you want to be up at the crack of dawn so that you are at your best when the light comes in. And I mean, not that I, I've ever, uh, no, that's not true. No, I, I've never worked on a farm. I had been to a farm, but it could also have something to do again. I'm just totally guessing here. Uh, it could have something to do with if it's nighttime, maybe the animal is still more passive. If it's dark out, 
I, I just, I don't know. I don't One of my best friends in high school, he was a farmer and I used to go over there a lot of time and we, you know, we hang out on weekends and stuff and go out and yeah, he had to get up early and do all these chores. But I'll tell you the one thing, like I was saying to my wife, the milk that he had in his house was so good. It was like this fresh milk and then like the cream was on the top and they'd like spoon it off. Oh, it was so good. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. I love the scene too when Daniel Hochleitner comes over and had, they have like this Amish date and it's just him and Rachel sitting on the swing drinking lemonade and they yeah. say nothing to each other <laughs> in this whole thing and as I'm sure you probably realized um Daniel Hochleitner the character or the actor was um uh in Die Hard yes uh, Alexander Gudunov and yeah. he was yeah from Die Hard which we had just watched the other night and my wife was like oh I know him um but uh Anyway, and then the next scene, then she takes lemonade, lemonade to John in the barn, and he's trying to repair the birdhouse because he ran into it when he passed out right, from losing right. all the blood. And yep. and I'm sure you probably know this because you're a trivia guy like me, but like by trade, Harrison Ford is a carpenter by trade. Yes, and that's, that's the rumor, right? Or not the rumor. That's the story is he was working on sets when yeah. Lucas found him. He was a set builder. carpenter. I yeah. think he was a set builder. He was hired as a set builder for American Graffiti. Right. And then they were like, hey, this guy's And they great. had to do line readings yeah. and stuff because he happened to be in the right place exactly. at the right time. So it, it's, I like how they play that. And there's another scene in, coming up, too, where they play on it again, with showing his carpentry skills, right? Well, isn't there a line at one point where they give him a hammer or something? They say, like, are you good with woodwork or do you know what you're doing? And he's like, yeah, I dabble a little or yeah. something like that. And that's sort of a little wink, wink. If exactly. You know. Exactly. Um, so I like this. She brings him the lemonade. And again, the whole movie is all about the two different cultures, right? And just how different they are. And and they and they show it every scene that they can. Like there's not to me, there is not a frame in this film that's wasted. Like it's just everything is there for a reason. And the scene when she gives him the lemonade, he grabs it and just guzzles it down. And it's a really subtle, subtle scene. But it just shows that 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 difference, like it's almost like like she's kind of shocked by it because it's just it's almost like gluttony. You know what I mean? To take it and just guzzle the whole thing down. You know, that's something we would do. But I think the Amish would just sip it, you know? I don't know. I just thought it was so great. And um, so he introduces her to dancing. Remember when he's fixing the car? Yeah. Much, yeah, to, yeah. much to Eli's chagrin at this point. And they threaten to shun her from the Amish because she's associating with them, right? And then just to kind of punch up the whole Amish thing, when the chief is talking to Book's partner, I don't remember the character's name. But, I don't um, either. But he says to him, he goes, we're like the Amish, the police. We are. We're a cult. We're a group, right? With rules. And he's he's trying to, to he's just trying to trek him. He's trying to justify him turning John in to him, you know, to give away his location. Sure. But just, it, again, it's just scene after scene of like how different these, it, the whole movie is like a sort of culture clash. So we're about halfway through the movie at this point. You're still kind of not loving it. Well, I, again, I, I, I know... I remember enough of the broad strokes that I know what it's about. I know where it's going. And I I watch enough movies to understand that the, the a big part of the point of the movie, like, you know, for any movie you want to entertain, but any decent movie is also going to try and make some sort of a statement uh, for better, or for worse. And, and like, it's clear that the statement this movie is trying to make or trying to illustrate is this, this juxtaposition of these two cultures. They can be so different yet. There are things that, that are still so similar, even though they, they have such radical uh, uh, differences when it comes to things like technology and, and religious customs. And they're not 
holding one up above the other to say this one's better, this one's worse. It's just the the, the very broad strokes of we we can all get along if we understand a little bit more about what the other person is feeling or how the other person comes to whatever it is they're doing. And so I'm getting that out of it. I mean, they're hitting you over the head with that one pretty hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, that's, that's a big part of what makes the movie work. You need to, you, if it, if that point wasn't coming across or that point wasn't correct, the, 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 the sort of the payoff, the, the end of the movie wouldn't feel as, as satisfying. So I, I certainly don't um, begrudge the movie for doing what it's doing. But, you know, at this point, I, I, I'm pretty savvy movie watcher. So I'm sort of knowing like, OK, this is where this is probably going to go next. And this is probably what we're going to see. And and um, one of the one of the screenwriting tropes that you hear or that I've heard in the past is, uh, you know, if if in scene one of a movie, you see a gun above the mantle place by scene three, the gun had better go off. <laughs> and so in scene one of of this, well, I guess probably even scene two or act two. Uh, like you said, when the boy is showing Harrison Ford around and you see, uh, you know, how the grain silo works and how the, the there's like these trap doors in the barn. And even with the mom hiding the bullets, I'm already thinking, OK, there's going to be some reason that Harrison Ford needs to find these bullets. He told the mom to put them somewhere different. He's not going to be able to find it. So he's going to have to handle whatever problem it is without his gun. I figured that would come. And then I figured, well, there's obviously going to be some sort of a chase uh, or, or cat and mouse play where – He's going to take advantage of his knowledge of this barn and this silo. And, and it did. Again, I wasn't disappointed that that's where it, where it went, but it was pretty uh, linear storytelling. Um, and so, again, uh, I look for more. I want more out of my movies. I watch a lot of movies and I watch a lot of crappy movies. So when I see a good one, uh, you know, I really want to feel like I'm getting something out of it. I want to get more out of it. And uh, and and witness again. It was good. But I found that it was a little by the numbers, a little on the nose. It didn't – there were no real surprises for me. And and uh, the performances were great, which is fine. But um, yeah, I'm just sort of at this point going ho-hum. Yeah, it is what it is. Let's 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 see where it goes next. Well, it's funny because for me, it's just like I said at the top. Like they just don't make movies like this anymore. And you kind of hinted at this too. And it really – one of my favorite scenes in the movie is the barn raising scene. It's just yep. such a great scene. And for me, what, like nowadays, you know, and again, I know I'm the old man complaining about stuff nowadays, but so many movies are about destroying things. And here's a scene where they're building something. Like, I don't know. I just love this scene. And it was funny because you were talking earlier about the, uh, the train station of Philadelphia being this, you know, engineering marvel that they, you know, that man could put this up. And I'm thinking the same thing of the barn raising scene. I'm thinking, yeah, how do they absolutely. do this? I said to my wife when they were doing it, they're pulling the, 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 the walls up. I'm like, how do they do that? And how do they get it from like not falling right over? And like, like, it's incredible. And I don't know if you noticed, but Viggo Mortensen is there. Yeah. And, and he's yeah. very, very young, right? And, and he's kind of, you know, this is a really small part, but he's there. Um, and again, like we mentioned before, Ford kind of shows off his carpentry skills at this point. Like there's like dowels and wood joints and he's like this wood boring tool thing going on. And then I love when the, all the Amish men sit down for lunch because that's when you really start to see the rivalry develop between Ford and Hawkleitner for Rachel's yeah. affections, right? Yeah. And then immediately after that scene, Ford, it's at night and Ford sees her bathing herself and she turns to face him. Like basically she's bearing herself to him right yes and he averts his eyes like he just 
can't do it. And I think he even says the next day, he goes, if we would have made love, I would never be able to leave. And you realize he has no intention of staying because he can't. And that's when you start to realize that there's so much going on in this movie. Like it's, it's just, they have this sort of doomed, you know, relationship, this doomed kind of uh, romantic, you know, relationship. And God, it's just, I thought this movie is so good. And then they go into town and I like how he threatens the lady trying to take his picture. He's yeah. like, he's like, I'll rip off your brassiere or something like that. And you, you think, oh my God, that's really bad. You shouldn't be doing that. And it's mindly, it, mind you, it's just like a foreshadow of what's to come because he gets on the, the phone and he, he calls his partner and they're like, are you friend or family? And he's like, oh man, he finds out his partner's dead and he knows, right? He's like angry. He's confused. And so he gets on the phone and calls the chief. And I love that scene because the chief is like, oh, great. You're calling me at home. So I can't trace the call. Very smart. And he threatens the chief and he goes, I'm coming. I'm going to get you. I'm going to kill you. (laughs) And you're like, oh my God. And he's like flat out mad. He's vengeful. And these obnoxious punks from town start picking on the Amish at the worst possible time. Right. And I love it. He gets out of the thing and they're like, I think it's Eli says to him, no, don't do anything, book. It's not our way. And he's like, no, but it's mine. (laughs) And then he just beats the heck out of the bully. And it's funny because this bully is like your, I guess, you know, sort of stereotypical bully, just gutless punk. Right. And he's just no match for this like hardened Philly cop who he thinks is an Amish guy. But obviously really integral scene because it blows his cover. Right, the local yeah. cop comes, and yeah. you know that the chief has been in touch with the local cop, so you just know this is coming to a boil now, right? And then he builds that kind of contraption out of wood for Samuel. Maybe it looks kind of like the mouse trap game or something. Again, his yeah, carpentry yeah, like, skills, right? Yeah. And by the way, that gift that he gives to Samuel beats the crap out of Hawk Lightner's wooden horse puzzle piece from earlier in the film. Remember that? Yeah, <laughs> so much, yeah. so much better. But. Um, Rachel sees it and obviously knows, okay, he's leaving, you know? And even Eli, I think, says he's going back to his world. You know, that's where he belongs. He knows it, you know it, you know? And I love it because she takes her bonnet off and leaves it on the table, like to signify she's just taking off her Amish heritage just for a minute. Yeah. So she can go to him. And of course they kiss. This movie has everything in it. It's got action. It's got adventure. It's got romance, intrigue. It's just, it's so good. I think it's masterful filmmaking from Peter Weir. Now, he also did, um, he didn't do a lot in his career, but he did some good movies. Like The Year of Living Dangerously was good. I thought Gallipoli was really good. The Truman Show, I think you've said you like that, or Yancey liked it too. I really liked the Truman too. Show, yeah. yeah. I, I, as soon as I saw his name, I'm like, Peter Weir, why do I know that name? And I looked him up, and yeah, I recognized the titles of some of the movies, but I hadn't seen many of them. But the few that I had seen that sort of the newer ones, I'm like, oh, I like that, and I like that, and I like that, so... Yeah, well, yeah, like I say, he hasn't done a lot, and he's kind of like you know, kind of took the foot off the gas of, you know, the directing career, you know, lately. But I mean, he had a, he had some good films, but I just think I think this movie's masterful. I think it's a masterful thriller. I think it's a masterful love story. Like I mentioned, the scenes about the Amish to me are almost documentary in nature, and then of course the whole fish out of water tale, and it works both ways for the boy and the mother in Philadelphia, and then for book when he's in Amish country. I think this movie has. Everything. But going back to Harrison Ford for a minute, because you mentioned him at the top. We were talking about him. I think, hands down, best performance of his career. Do you agree? 
No. No? Okay, so what, what film do you think he was better? Raiders of the Lost Ark. As a that, as that a as, a, as a, apex. Well, I, I yep. think that, I think that's his, his best movie. No question. No, I th- and I think that was his best. I think yeah, I think that um the character of Indiana Jones is it required not only someone who could act, but someone who had that sense of humor and someone who had the right amount of charisma. Uh, you hear the stories of how, oh, they wanted Tom Selleck and there were uh, uh, to play Indiana Jones. Yep. And because of Magnum P.I., he wasn't able to get out of contract. But I, I've, I've heard and read things that Tom Selleck did some screen testing and the, Lucas and Spielberg were like, he's not really getting it. He's he's reading the lines we're giving him. He's following our direction. But it's that subtle something that would make this character pop that he's not getting that when Harrison Ford had the opportunity, they're like, that's the guy. He's he gets it. And I think that in my mind that that is a real um, achievement for Harrison Ford to be able to play the character, play more than just the character that's on the page. Hear the direction you're getting from someone as great as Steven Spielberg and being able to. Um, take it to that sort of next level above and beyond the the actual stage direction that's being provided and, and add that bit to that character and perform it in a way that is like, this is what the people who created this character in this movie are exactly expecting. And and I think that's harder than than people would expect. So you you just sort of dismiss it as, well, it's an action movie and, and he does the right things and he says the funny lines, haha, and he punches out the bad guy and he cracks the whip. But I, I, there's a lot of... of Subtlety and, and nuance and work that that goes into that Indiana Jones character for it to be as good and as successful and as memorable and as as it was. And to me, that's that's Harrison Ford at his absolute best. He was definitely good in Witness. I, I have, you know, it's definitely, you know, probably his top five performances. But in my mind, Raiders of the Lost Ark is his best performance. And I, and I get it. I mean, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark is one of my top three films of all time. And also, you know, as we talked about earlier, like they didn't want to hire him for that film. And they, meaning uh, Spielberg and Lucas, didn't want him because he was he was Han Solo, right? And they're like, we can't, we can't put him in here. He can't be Indiana Jones. And, and he did it. And I think it was just great that he was able to pull it off. And like I said, not once did I ever think, you know, that's Han Solo. But I still think Witness was the best performance of his career. And I can see why he was attracted to this role, because it gave him sort of the perfect chance to explore a really, really great role as an actor. But it still kind of let him be comfortable in that environment, you know, of being kind of an action thriller kind of thing. So I I can see why he took this. Um, But now for his work in the movie, he was rewarded with his only Oscar nomination. Right. Correct. And he he didn't win. He lost to William Hurt that year. Um, But Kelly McGillis wasn't nominated for her role. And I think that's a bit of a shame, to be honest with you. And I'm, I'm not sure if it would be considered a leading role or a supporting role. But either way, I just I don't think the Academy got it right with the nominations that year, because I think she could have been nominated in either category as, you know, leading actress or supporting actress. Because, I mean, I just I thought it was a weak uh, slate that year when you think about. Um, like Jessica Lange and what I was going to say, do you have the list of the nominees there? Uh, Geraldine Page won for The Trip to Bountiful. Okay, but Anne, right, Anne right. Bancroft was nominated for Agnes of God, Whoopi Goldberg in The Color Purple, Jessica Lange in Sweet Dreams, and Meryl Streep in Out of Africa. That was lead actress, but in a supporting actress, Angelica Houston won for Pritzi's Honor, but there was like Margaret Avery for The Color Purple, Amy Madigan, uh, Meg Tilly, and Oprah Winfrey. I, I just, I don't know. I think they just overlooked her. I really do. 
But anyway, just back to the movie for a second, because I, I really like the end of this movie. And, and again, it just goes back to what I said earlier about how they just, they don't make movies like this anymore. And I think it's, that is really punctuated by the end of the film. Because I think if the movie were made today, this is, remember when the cops come at the end? Yeah. If they made this movie today, there'd have been more of a shoot up kind of, you know, but instead it's this realistic scene at the very end. It's like surrounded by all the, the Amish that are unarmed. And instead of going into some like elaborate, you know, wire fighting scene or jumping across rooftops or something, it, it just ends. He knows it's over. He's no match for the kind of the peacefulness of the Amish. God, it's so good. It's so good. But that scene, I just, oh man, I love the end. So Book tells Samuel to run to the Hawk Leitner's farm. He's like, run, Samuel, run. And Samuel's line is so funny. He's like, but you don't have your gun. You know, like he's, he's almost like kind of like seeing things from the English perspective at this point. And then, like you mentioned, you know, yeah. there was that, that foreshadowing because Book goes up the ladder beside the corn silo. And Fergie takes the bait, goes into the silo, and he just uh, releases the corn and buries him. I think he actually chokes him out from the silage. But he gets Fergie's shotgun. And Fergie, by the way, a Canadian actor, Angus yeah, was he? I wanted to ask you that. Was he in Strange Brew? Yes, he was Rosie LaRose. Okay. Yes. That's where I recognize him from. I'm like, I recognize that guy. And it took me, I'm like, I think he's from Strange Brew. Oh, but it gets better. Not only was he Rosie LaRose in Strange Brew, he was gold leader in Star Wars, my friend. Yeah, no, that I knew. I, yeah. I, I looked him up after and I was like, oh, yeah. So. Yeah, Angus McKinnis. Oh, and I remember him being in like The Littlest Hobo and stuff. And anyway... So I love this scene. So Eli and Rachel are in the house and the chief comes in to get him. And Samuel is in the other room. He did run to the, to the Hawk Leitner's farm like he was told to. But the chief doesn't see him, right? So he, he gets Eli and uh, Rachel to come out and Eli motions like to pull the rope to ring the bell. Yeah. And so he does. And, and like the kid pulls the, the bell and it alerts all. And all the other Amish, they all come over to the lap farm to see what's going on. And I just, the scene is so good because like I said, the chief takes Rachel hostage and then there's, instead of this being this big shooting up match, it's not, it's a yelling match. They just yell. And all of a sudden, all the Amish are there and Book's like, what are you going to do, Paul? You're going to shoot me? You're going to shoot her? Shoot the boy? He's like, it's over. Enough. And the chief just gives up. Like, it's just so. What other options did he have? I know. It's just so realistic. I don't know. It just. It doesn't turn into anything over the top. It's just over. It's just brilliant. I don't know. I love it. And then when Book and Samuel go and sit by the stream to say goodbye to each other, they don't even talk. Book just gets up and he says goodbye, Samuel. Samuel doesn't say a word to him. Right? And then he says goodbye to Rachel. And it's like heartbreaking. Because the thing is, they both experienced so much loss. And they, they really need each other, but it can't be. Their lives are just so different. And it's so crazy because if you think about it, you got two human beings living not only in the same country, but in the same state. And yet they're so colossally different that even love can't bridge it. Like it's just, it's just so powerful. So then he just drives away. And for a second, remember, he stops to say goodbye to Hawk Leitner. Yeah, and, I like that they didn't uh, they didn't tell us like there wasn't all of a sudden a close up cut to the car where you hear the exchange. It was 15 or 20 seconds. So, you know, there was enough opportunity for both of them to say something to each other. But 
you sort of leave it in the the mind of the of the viewer. It's like there is some sort of exchange, and and that's it. You you know, it, it's not important what the actual words were. It's just a, a formal goodbye, probably a thank you, uh, you know, something along those lines. And I, and I like that it was left uh, up to the viewer's imagination to to try and imagine. Well, what do you think the exchange was? And at the end of the day, it's it's like we said at the beginning with the death of the husband. I don't need to know what they said. Right. I got I got the point of it. I agree with you. And 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 to kind of punctuate things, in most Hollywood movies, you know, he'd have stopped the car because because when he was driving up there, you see the brakes go on. Most Hollywood movies, he would have stopped that car, he'd have turned around, and Rachel would have ran out into his arms, and they would have, you know, he'd have swept her off her feet, but not here. He drives away. And it's the like Casablanca, roll. right? Yeah. He doesn't get the girl at the exactly. end of Casablanca. He exactly. does the right thing. What's right for her, what's right for him. He's Everyone's intelligent enough to know that there are bigger things involved, and and uh, although a, a, a short fling might have been wonderful for both of them it's going to have long-term ramifications especially with the young son involved so mm-hmm. they do the right thing oh so good so amazing so at this point my wife had fallen asleep and i was just like oh my god and she's like what she wakes up she's like, what's going on i'm like this movie is so good i forgot how good this movie is and she's like oh my god you know but that's my, my feeling on it overall i just thought it was just fantastic it was just so many so much was going on in this movie so many good elements like i say it was an action it was a romance it was just a, a mystery intrigue oh, it was just so good i thought this movie was fantastic i know you didn't like it as much as i did but like i say they don't make movies like this anymore and um you know they probably never will <laughs> that's as far as i see it but uh you say to probably give it about a 7.5 out of 10 kind of in line with what you saw um, online I'd probably say a seven or seven point five, depending on uh, depending on the day of the week. I think right now, even after talking about it, I'd probably lean more towards the seven. It was good. I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend it to everyone I know, but there are certainly some people who I would uh, have no problem recommending it to, or say to them like, "Hey, this is a, a movie from the '80s." Oh, one of the other things I did mention earlier mm-hmm. was about the dated. There were there was some uh, music some like synthesizer music used earlier on in the movie that immediately just sort of took me out of the, out of the, the feel of the movie. That, that unfortunately is one thing that I found. There are some movies from the eighties that use current popular music from the eighties or to score it. They use the synthesizer and it's just, it's so dated. And uh, again, it's just, it's a little thing and not everyone's going to pick up on it or not. Everyone's going to be miffed by it. Like I was, but there were a couple of scenes early on in this where I, I was just shaking my head going, Oh, but yeah, other than that, I, I, I did enjoy it. I would give it a seven. Uh, I don't think I need to watch it again anytime soon, but it's certainly something that I would probably have no problems revisiting five years down the road or that I would have no recommending to some people for sure. I am glad that I nominated this film, obviously, because and I love doing this podcast because I get to go back and watch all these movies that I haven't seen in like ages. And some of them shock me because they don't hold up and some of them do. And for me, this one really, really holds up. And I would go as high as giving it a nine out of 10. I thought it was fantastic. It's just man, masterful filmmaking. I thought it was great. But anyway, that's my take. On that note, let's have some fun with Caveman. All right, Caveman, over to you. Take it away. What do you got for us this week? We're going to have some fun. A very big part of this discussion that we've been having tonight is yes. around Harrison Ford. Yes, it is. You you felt that this was Harrison Ford's best work, his strongest performance. It's I thought the only it was his best. Yeah, in I which was. he was nominated for an Oscar. True. Um, but uh, uh, it, 
obviously this movie would be a very different movie with someone else cast. I read that one of the people they tried to get in the movie who actually turned it down was Sylvester Stallone. Oh man. What could a, you imagine John a, book as Sylvester Stallone? No, I couldn't, but what a no. stupid mistake that would be as an so, actor. Anyway, God, man. Harrison Ford, a big part of this. So we're going to do a little bit of Harrison Ford trivia and I'm going to try and make this easy for you because, uh, you know, we, we're not here to embarrass you or, or stump you too badly. So, right. I've got a list of 20 movies okay. that Harrison Ford has been in. All right. And I've got 20 additional movies that have very similar sounding titles. So I'm going <laughs> to okay. give you two titles that sound very close. All right. Harrison Ford was in one of them. I need you in each pairing to tell me which one starred Harrison Ford. Okay. Okay. Simple enough. So you're going to give me two titles I'm, I'm and I got to tell you titles. which one. You're going to tell me which one had Harrison Ford in it. All right. Okay, uh, so we'll go down the list and we'll see how well you do. All right, Ready? I'll do my best. Yeah, I All think right. I can do pretty good on this. I mean, I really okay. like Harrison Ford. Well, I think so. There are some of Harrison Ford's uh, more recent roles you may not be as yeah, familiar that's true. with, but I, that's true. I tried to stick to to sort of his greatest hits, uh, or at least movies that were uh, uh, bigger releases. Maybe you haven't seen them, but at least right. you'll be like, oh, I've heard of that. But uh, um, how, yeah, many, how many movies has he been in overall? Do you know? Oh, a lot, a lot. I, I had to pare back the list pretty good to get it down to twenty. Wow. All right. Ready? I think I could do good uh, on this, but we'll see. Yeah, okay. Go ahead. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm ready. First, first ones. Which one starred Harrison Ford? Yeah. Age of Ultron or Age of Adeline? Uh, I don't think he was in Age of Ultron. That's like a, that's one of those comic book ones. So I guess I'll go with the other one, but I don't really know. But I'll say the Age of, what did you say it was? Age of Adeline. Yeah, that's uh, right. I'll Correct. say that. I'll say that one. All right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Ooh. I, I just, that was a process of elimination. Not that I actually knew it. What, was Harrison Ford in Annie or Sabrina? Oh, he was in Sabrina. It was a remake. Yes. Was Harrison Ford in Crossing Over or Crossing Delancey? Uh, he was in Crossing Over. Was Harrison Ford in Extreme Measures or Extraordinary Measures? Oh, jeez. Uh, <laughs> that's a good one. I will say he was in Extreme Measures. <laughs> Nope, that one had Gene Hackman in it. Oh, Extraordinary geez. Measures was Harrison Ford. I, I don't know either one. All right. When did they Was Harrison... Uh, 1996 for Extreme Measures and 2010 for Extraordinary oh, Measures. Geez, I didn't even know it. Okay. All right. Was Harrison Ford in Patriot Games or Patriot's Day? Oh, he was in Patriot Games. Yes, he was. Was Harrison Ford in Random Hearts or Hearts in Atlantis? Oh... I, Random Hearts? Yes. Just guess. Yes, he was. Know. Hearts in Atlantis had um, Anthony Hopkins. I don't know either one of those movies. Hearts in Atlantis was based on a Stephen King book. Okay. Uh, all right. Was Harrison Ford in Scream or Frantic? Oh, he was in Frantic. Was Harrison Ford in Space Cowboys or Cowboys and Aliens? Oh, he was in Cowboys and Aliens, I think. Yes, he was. Yeah. It was like Clint Eastwood or something too, right? Yeah. Uh, ish. It had uh, Daniel Craig. James Bond was there. Oh, okay. Uh, Space Cowboys had Clint Eastwood. Oh, so that's why I'm getting confused. All right. All right. Was Harrison Ford in Wanted or The Fugitive? Oh, he was in The Fugitive. Of course. Yeah, he was. Okay. This one's a little tricky. Was Harrison Ford in Anchorman, The Legend of Ron Burgundy or Anchorman 2, The Legend Continues? Oh, I, I don't. I, I watched maybe 10 minutes of Anchorman and I turned it off. So I'll just, I hated it. Um, I'll say Anchorman 2. Yeah. 
<laughs> he was an Eggman too. What the hell is he doing? His, boy, has his career Ball gone part, downhill. Part. Man, oh All right. man. Was Harrison Ford in Blades of Glory or Morning Glory? Uh, I'll say Morning Glory. It's about figure skating. That's what I figured. Yeah, I was yeah. to some elimination. All right. Was Harrison Ford in Ender's Game or Molly's Game? Uh, I think he was in Ender's Game. That's a pretty recent movie, I think, isn't it? Those are both recent movies. Yeah. I I, did, I remember hearing it was kind of dumb, but I don't know. Ender's Is that your answer, Ender's Game? Ender's Game, yeah. That's correct, yes. And Molly's Game was about gambling. It was written by um, uh, Sorkin. It was great. Uh, okay. Was Harrison Ford in Firewall or Firestarter? I don't think he was in Firestarter. I don't know what Firewall is, but Firestarter was with Drew Barrymore, and he wasn't in that one. So I'll say Firewall. Right. You're doing good. You got I'm doing pretty good at this. Yeah, I like and it. Was all, it was a trick one at that. All right. Was Harrison Ford in Presumed Innocent or An Innocent Man? Oh, he was in Presumed Innocent. He was. And do you know who was in An Innocent Man? We already talked about him tonight. An Innocent Man? Uh, no. Tom Selleck. Oh, well, there you go. All right. Was Harrison Ford in Regarding Henry or Hardcore Henry? No, he was in, he was in Regarding Henry. <laughs> Hardcore Henry sounds like something really nasty. No, it's an action adventure movie. It's a first person shooter style. Oh, okay. Came out in 2015. Uh, was Harrison Ford in Six Pack or Six Days, Seven Nights? Oh, he was in Six Days, Seven Nights. That's the one with that Anne Hesch, right? <laughs> yes. Really, they crashed on that island. Yeah, I remember yep. that. Yep. All right. But there's only a few more to go. Was Harrison Ford in The Devil's Advocate or The Devil's Own? Uh, Both came out in 1997. Uh, I will say the devil's advocate. No, oh, devil's advocate had Al Pacino and uh, Keanu. Oh, yes, I remember. Devil's Own had uh, Brad I, Pitt. I remember hearing about them. I don't. I don't know either one. Yeah. All right, was Harrison Ford in the Frisco Kid or the Cincinnati Kid? The he was the Cincinnati Kid. No. No, he was. I I guess I'll say the Frisco kid, but I don't really know. That oh, kid had Steve McQueen. Yes, that was Steve. Okay, that's it. Frisco kid was funny. It had um, Gene Wilder was in that. It was really good. That came out after Star Wars, didn't it? it came out in 1979. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's what I thought. Yep. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, was he? Was Harrison Ford in What Lies Beneath or Sex Lies and Videotape? It was What Lies Beneath. I went to the movie theater to see it, and I hated that movie. Oh. And the last one on my list was. Harrison Ford in X-Men Apocalypse or Apocalypse Now? Oh, he was in Apocalypse Now. Yeah, he was. All right. You did great. You got uh, 18 out of 20. Oh, that's Nicely great. Done. Nicely wow, done. Sir, that's awesome. Very impressed. I think a lot, like some of them I did have to guess and I got kind of lucky, but I think some of them were process of elimination and then other ones I just flat out knew. But that was, a, oh yeah. man, that was good. Man, I like yeah. that. Oh, yeah. I thought you'd like that. All right. Well, I'm glad that worked out. Well, okay. Good job. good job, Chris. 18 out of 20, man. Well, that's that's 90% average. Yeah, yeah. that's right. I'll that's take a solid that. solid eight. I made the Dean's yep. list. Yeah, you know you know your Harrison Ford movies, or yeah. at least you know the ones that he's not in. He's not the one, the ones he's not in. Exactly. I know that. Okay, so I tell you what. How about we come back next time with, since we mentioned at the top of the show, it's, it's a new year, you know, yep. the holidays. What do you see if we come back next time with a look back at 2019? Okay. You know, we can like we, a, we'll, a, a year uh, per, uh, retrospective kind of yeah. what's happened in 2019. Like what happened in 2019? We'll look the highs, at the, the lows, the, the, highs, the best, the, the worst, the whole bit. Yeah, maybe people that we lost, things that we liked about okay. the, the year, movies that we saw. It's going to be pretty um, light for me because, as you know, I don't watch anything past 1989. So it'll be really hard for me to put together. I think there was a couple of TV shows, anything that I watched that was new from 2019, whether it was TV or movie based. It was all because of you. 
So that's a okay. good thing. I mean, because you know, you push me here on the show to watch this new stuff. So I'll, I'll bring together what I can and then maybe some new things that I took a look at. And, and like I say, just a look back on the year in general. I think it would be a good thing to do if you're game, game for it. So that's what we'll do next. I episode. love that idea. Let's do that. Yep, we'll do that. And then uh, we'll see where we go after that one. Sounds good. We'll come back next week and we'll do that. Uh, if you want to reach uh, Derek, you're going to find him on Twitter at Amaron underscore DM. Uh, again, you'll find me at C McBrien or popcoachworld.com. If you want to email us, our contact information is on there. But until next week, this is Chris McBrien for Derek Myers as well, saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. We'll be right back.